I am the watcher on the walls. I'm the shield that guards the realms of men. I pledge my life and honor to the night's watch for this night and all the nights to come. How do you stop a crime that has not happened yet? How do you figure out how some assassin will strike before they've actually done so? And what new methods, new modes, new motives will they use to kill someone? This is the essential conundrum of the American Secret Service. They're the men and women who guard the U.S. president and other important figures in this country. And to be clear, they're not for a particular party. They're not Democrat nor Republican. They guard foreign dignitaries and American. They protect the representative of the people, whoever it is. They are, like the Game of Thrones, Night Watch, guarding the realm. And they do so with their very lives. In today's episode, we'll talk about various assassination attempts, some successful, some failed, on U.S. political figures. And in almost all of them, the forgotten figure was a Secret Service agent who, knowing there was danger, stepped in front of bullets and knives for the person they were protecting. And their names have been almost all forgotten, except within that small band of watchers who guard the realm. Welcome to Crime Waves. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to Crime Waves. I'm Declan Hill, an Associate Professor of Investigations at the University of New Haven. And each week, myself and my students, and today it's the brilliant Alexa Miller and Brigida Harrison, we bring you an interview with one of the world's best criminal investigators. And today we have a special episode on the ways that the American Secret Service has to think into the future to best protect their people from all kinds of attacks. Our guest is Bobby McDonald, a senior veteran of the Secret Service who went on to work for the NBA, National Basketball Association, and is now here at the University of New Haven teaching our students investigations and crime scene analysis. He joined us on Crime Waves to speak about his experience as a guardian of the realm. Good morning, Bobby. Thank you so much for joining us here on Crime Waves. Good morning, Declan. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Hey, listen, brother. It, it's a it's a great it's a great honor for us and our listeners because uh, we're going to just crack on. And I just want to take a step back and talk about now the birth of the Secret Service because you guys were were born from what I understand in one of the worst disasters of American political history, which was April eighteen sixty five in a theater with Abraham Lincoln's assassination. Tell us a little bit about that night and all the stuff that went wrong. Well, ironically, we weren't formed because of the assassination. We were, in, we were formed in April of 1865 to combat counterfeit currency, which was huh. running rampant in the United States at the time. President Lincoln was assassinated uh, later that, uh, that summer. Uh, but we did not pick up protection of presidents until 1901 after the assassination of William McKinley in Buffalo, New York. I did not York. know that. 
Okay, so, so originally the Secret Service was about counterfeit currency, and then later Correct. it became. So the the fact that the foundation of Secret Service and um, Lincoln's assassination was the same month is clearly an error in my research, and I'm sorry uh, about that. I saw no, April no. 1865. I thought they must be connected. Not at all an error, but basically a very ironic fact that the hmm. president who enacted the Secret Service to become a federal agency uh, was assassinated, but our agency did not pick up protection until 1901, totally removed from the uh, Lincoln situation. Then let's talk about that infamous day in 1901. What happens in 1901? Why does it happen? And what's the effect for the Secret Service? Well, remember, for a very long time in our history, uh, presidents literally walked down the street without any protection. Um, they literally walked out of the White House. If they walked across the street, they walked down the block. They went in a horse and carriage. There were no ballards. There were no uh, bomb uh, bomb detection. There was no uh, huts for police officers to stand in. There, there was really no perimeter around the White House. There wasn't a fence for a lot of years. So, um you know, the the actual physical protection of presidents at the time was really that they were protected when they were inside the White House or inside a venue. There really wasn't a lot of interaction at that point. But regular people could walk down the street and walk right by the president of the United States. And then in 1901, while President McKinley was in Buffalo, New York at the Pan American Exposition, um, September of that year, uh, a a gentleman who uh, had lost his job in 1893, became an anarchist and decided that he was going to, while shaking hands with uh, President McKinley, that he was going to shoot him. And he shot him twice in the abdomen. Uh, McKinley died, I believe it was eight days later, uh, from gangrene caused by the wounds. And at that, at that time, uh, the Secret Service was, enact was already enacted for counterfeit currency, but was tasked with providing presidential protection. Now, obviously that started off very small in 1901. And then over the years up until now has grown exponentially to cover. Well, because the, the threats, the sure. threats have become much larger. Although I have to say one of the good research that I did in prep preparing for this particular podcast was that to find the campaign of terror that the anarchist unleashed in the 1890s and early 1900s was extraordinary. Um, you know, they managed to kill a number of uh, reigning monarchs. They managed to kill a number of politicians in Europe. Um, at one point, I think they even uh, shot Teddy Roosevelt, and he began one of his great speeches saying, ladies and gentlemen, this speech is going to be brief because I've been shot. <laughs> you know, and, it's, you know, oh, again, he's literally did, got a, a bullet in him, and he does a brief speech, and they take him off to the hospital. Right. Remember, too, we didn't have all of the communication uh, elements that we have today. We didn't have 24-hour news cycle. We didn't have any of that stuff. So even word of those incidents getting out and around the globe or the nation was, you know, potentially weeks away for some people, you know, as as word would reach. Yes. Pardon me, by the Pony Expresses or, you know, things that we take for granted now, the instantaneous news cycle um, was not available. And therefore, a lot of this stuff was really not even known to the general public when it was happening. Um, we'll, we'll flash forward a whole bunch of generations. There is a moment, I remember my American auntie telling me uh, when I was a kid, she was falling asleep uh, watching Bobby Kennedy, who was the heir apparent to the Democratic um, uh, throne. You know, obviously his 
his brother had been already assassinated and killed in, in Dallas, Texas, a number of years earlier. And suddenly there is a flash and a fury. Tell us a little bit about that Bobby Kennedy assassination. So at that point, Bobby Kennedy is in L.A. and uh, he's at an event. And I apologize, I forget the name of the hotel. But he finishes his speech uh, on the dais and he's walking uh, through the back corridors of the hotel, which becomes really the lifetime pathway for Secret Service agents. I don't think that there's a loading dock or a back kitchen hallway that any of our protectees hasn't seen. It's amazing how many of those hallways get repainted every time uh, we come to visit. Our protectees many times make comments that, oh, it's wonderful to smell the paint again because the, the location usually does a paint job uh, on the back halls. But having said that, uh, Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy uh, finishes up his speech. He moves with his entourage out towards the back hallway, uh, heading out to the vehicles to move on to his next venue. And Sirhan Sirhan uh, shoots Bobby Kennedy and, and Bobby Kennedy subsequently passes away. Now, ironically, again, his brother was killed in 1963 while he was President John F. Kennedy in Dallas. Um, many of the uh, aspects of protection that are in place today were uh, came out of the Kennedy assassination. Then, then tell us about that, because we're yeah. at, at some point on Crywaves, and this is a big, big announcement, Dr. Lee, uh, the founder of the college that you and I teach at and do our research at, is going to come on and 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 talk about the investigation into the second shooter but let's leave the second sure. shooter aside on that jfk assassination what are the lessons that the secret service learns from those two assassinations and well let me let me just let me just finish up on the bobby kennedy first. The, the bobby kennedy shooting becomes the impetus for congress to enact the secret service to then now protect presidential candidates so from 1968 on we now have a very busy season uh which used to be a much more protracted season of the uh, candidate, you know, the uh, campaigns. Campaigns now seem to run longer and wider and protection is provided potentially very early in a campaign cycle to a candidate should they meet certain criteria that's developed by DHS and or any threats that may have been detected. So our, as, as you can see on TV watching every night, the campaign is always going on. So, right. I mean, it, it is perpetual. But but tell right. us specific, tell us and, and, and our viewers and listeners, like if your candidate or, or your protection person, be it the president or be it somebody who's running for president or whoever it is, decides to walk through the kitchen, what are the things that you guys have to do? Well, uh, the the one of the elements that came out of the Kennedy assassination is you no longer see an open air limousine. Okay, the, the bubble top is now permanent. We don't have the ability to take the top off as we did in 1963. After the Reagan assassination, you don't see uh, protectees arriving at the front door of a hotel. You arrive underground, usually in a garage, and you go through the kitchen and things like that. So, in other so, words, we're so going through the kitchen is now more routine. Yes, and what that does is allows us to control the access and control the path and have a known group of people inside that kitchen versus walking through a hotel lobby and potentially having a lot of unknown people. And how, how much time does it take you to prepare that? Like if you're, you know, if let, let's say you're covering Declan Hill's run for presidency, and I can assure you there will never be a Declan Hill run for the presidency, but never say never uh, for all kinds of reasons. But, but look, let, let's say I'm the guy that you're supposed to guard. How And I'm going to make a speech at the Eagle Hotel in downtown New Haven. How, how do you go about that? And how much time do you need to do that? 
Well, let me first correct you. We don't guard, we protect. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> but uh, to be honest with you, the longer we have to do a protective advance, the better. However, obviously, a lot, yes. A lot of times, based upon last minute schedule changes, last minute notification of a change in a venue, you'll notice a lot of uh, people who are campaigning towards the end of the campaign cycle are moving around to certain locations where they need to be to potentially raise the vote. Right. They will they will oftentimes cancel a visit at a location that quote unquote may be in their pocket or is a Democratic or Republican stronghold. They will trade away that visit for a last minute visit somewhere else. That does two things. That inhibits a little bit of the advance work that can be done by the Secret Service for that protectee going into that location. However, the less time it's known that the person is going there also works in our advantage because potentially the bad guy doesn't necessarily know that that protectee is going to that location. So it's a it's a positive and negative double-edged sword, if you will, that we try to use those elements to work to our advantage in the planning of a potential visit. And we do look at a lot of different things, motorcade routes, how to get to the venue, how to get there alternate, uh, an alternate way, where the hospital is, where the police department is, where if we might need to go and stash our protectee for a short time while something else is being taken care of, we can do that. All of so those you've, got a, you've got are, an effective safe house to, to get exactly. there. All of those things are planned no matter who the protectee is. All of those things go into a Secret Service advance. Uh, and, and, and all of that information is available to the agents working that detail, whether they have to use it or and, not. And Bobby, is it down to the kitchen, you know, President Candidate Hill is going to be brought into this entrance, he's going to get out here, and we're going to walk him through this corridor? Is it down to that detail? Yes, it's all scripted. So you get the blueprints of the hotel, and you're, you're planning sure, it. You, you, you have met with the engineer of the hotel. Uh, to talk about the fire suppression system, talk about uh, where the uh, diesel tanks are are for the generator. You're going to meet with the hotel manager. Uh, you're going to meet with the hotel security director. Uh, you're going to meet with the local fire department, the local police department. Uh, you're going to make sure that there are no vehicles potentially on the street the day of your visit. You're going to ask the of the PD to do a no, temporary no parking zone, or uh, you want to know how far away the fire department is. Um, what type of alarm is in the venue? In other words, if the if the protectee is speaking at the uh, the Omni Hotel in New Haven, and someone pulls the fire alarm, is it audible immediately? Is there a two minute delay? Does it go to the fire department? What's the sprinkler system? You know, all of those things are are asked of the various entities who represent the venue, so that you can have a full picture to place into your planning document. All of that information goes into a planning document to include Be diagrams of the entire venue. Because in, in some ways, you know, I, I when I when I talk to you, you know, when we're not doing the podcast, I always kind of think that you're like one of that Tom Cruise cops in the Minority Report. And and in Minority Report, as you guys remember in the movie and the book, the crime hasn't taken place. You've got to kind of figure out how the crime will take place with the person that you don't even know. So you're doing an investigation of a future crime, a crime that hasn't happened yet. We're, we're putting a, a net around a venue and or a person uh, in the hopes that we've negated every possible situation that could come our way at that location. However, we don't necessarily know if we've ever stopped anything. 
you know, uh, a, a, a potential bad guy could walk up to the front of the hotel where we are and have some nefarious activity in mind and see one of our guys or gals or one of the police officers standing outside and they may walk away saying today's not the day I should do that. We had a lot of trouble developing hard analytics on that because a lot of times we don't know what we've prevented. You don't know what you don't know. I remember a great book that I was reading this year uh, whose title, of course, forget I've forgotten, but I'm going to put it in the comments after the podcast. You guys can see this. And it's about the Tehran conference in 1943 between Roosevelt, Franklin Delano, not Teddy Roosevelt, uh, Churchill, and Stalin. And the Secret Service has to go to Tehran in the middle of the Second World War and guard Roosevelt and guard these other guys. And I have, mean, the, I have the book right here somewhere. And I it's don't know Night it of Assassins. There it is. Night of Assassins. Our brilliant producer, Alexia Miller, has, has just put that in the chat. Night of Assassins is a brilliant book by an author, um, uh, a Connecticut author, but just an awesome international bestseller. But the point is that the Nazis have sent over a crack team of assassins because they figure if they can knock out these three leaders, then they can make separate pieces with Russia and the, you know, America and we can divide, they can divide and conquer. And the Nazis have brilliantly discovered that the sewer system is unguarded. So they found a, a, an entry point 15 miles outside the capital. They've come down and they've walked right their way into the American embassy compound where Roosevelt would be inside this sewer system and and working their way through it and again they were stopped by something else they were stopped with a in a love triangle involving a sexy soviet agent but those kind of don't know the don't knows investigating the routes and entries so we have we have progressed over the years to a lot of different entities within the secret service that yeah. kind of take a piece of the pie on all of these advances. Our technical security division that we have is is responsible for the environment that the president is around. When I say that, that includes the heating and air conditioning, you know, the different elements of, like I said, diesel fuel or different things that could explode. Uh, what's the air quality in the hotel room, the air ducts, the air conditioning intake on the top of the hotel is always posted for a presidential visit. A lot of the things that have happened over the years uh, as part of our advanced process now are taken into account almost from an automatic standpoint. And, and I we, presume the sewers, somebody, the does the technical department look after the sewers yeah, to make yeah. sure so nobody... Yep. And they'll work, in, they'll work in concert with the Department of Public Works or whatever the right. uh, relative agency is. Again, 95% of our protective measures are done through liaison with other local, state, and federal agencies. We are uh, an agency that really uh, relies on the assistance of others. We are known for our relationships uh, and our advanced process is built to leave our office in the city where we are protecting someone and their relationship with the locals better than we found it. Because guess what? We'll probably be back at some time. Yeah, I, and, I, I, I imagine that you've got to be better than the FBI, which is famous in American law enforcement for irritating the local agencies. And I don't need you to tell me anything. I don't want you no, to say I, anything. No, I, no, but look, I'm we, sure the Secret okay. Service is better than that. Let, well, let me jump, if you don't mind, Bobby, to sure. another assassination attempt on Gerald Ford in the 1970s. Tell us a little bit about that and, and, and what lessons are learned by the Secret Service from that assassination attempt. 
So in uh, the mid 70s, um, Gerald Ford, uh, mid 1975 to be exact, Gerald Ford over the period of, uh, uh, I wanna say a week, let me think uh, two weeks, a two week period in San Francisco has two attempts made on him. One by uh, Lynette Squeaky Frome of the Manson family and one by Sarah Jane Moore, uh, way back. Uh, wow. Basically, both of those uh, individuals were located uh, across the street from the venue where the president was. And as he came out to his vehicle, again, back then, prior to the Reagan assassination, back then, the limousines would just drop off at the front door of the hotel. And the president, with his Secret Service detail, would get out and walk in. Uh, both of those uh, assassination attempts, uh, one of them was as the president was moving from uh, the, the vehicle into the hotel. The other attempt uh, was when he was um, over in a park area across the street and had to be moved back to the vehicle. One of the ironic things that you can notice if you ever look at the, one of the tapes as he's walking out of that hotel um, was that the agents couldn't get the door open of the limousine. The locks, the, the electronic locks, as the driver was trying to open the door, was being negated by the agent trying to open the door physically and the locks kept recycling. And we, we've all, I mean, we've all done that in the shopping we've thing. All done it. The, One of the things and, you but, see But at now, that point, somebody's trying to shoot the president while they're correct. scrambling to get this door open. So they, they were able to get the president down below the vehicle, but ideally we would want to get the president into the vehicle. And, and what's happening? People sh is this Manson, um, you know, a fan, you know, of the Manson family? Is she trying to shoot? Uh... She's shooting towards the location where the president is. So the assumption would be that she's trying to assassinate the president. So the guys are guys who got they, the president they, down. They put him down behind the car. One of the uh, offshoots of that incident was that any time that you see the president now get out of his vehicle or moving yes. to his vehicle, yes. the door is always open. The door remains open until the president gets into the venue. If you look at this morning, the president arrived at Vatican City to see the Pope. And you can see the president shaking hands with the welcoming party in Vatican City. Right behind him is an agent holding the door open. It's so that, that's so interesting, Bobby, because I bet you 99% of our listeners and viewers may have seen that shot of the president meeting the Pope, and we're not looking at those kind of details. We, you know, we're yeah. looking at the what what hat is the Pope wearing today, right. or you know what what that goes door, on. That door will remain open. That should those agents need to get the president and the first lady or whoever else is being protected by us at that moment, that that we don't have to worry about getting the door. Open. The door is always open, and that. And and are those I presume those limos are pretty powerful vehicles. Yes, that's uh, all I'll say about that's all I'll say about those. Okay, fair enough. Again, in Night of the Assassins, when the Secret Service took a leap, a quantum leap up, that was, you know, because of the Second World War, because of this massive um, security threat to the presence, to the top people. Now, um, remember also, with the president being overseas this week, we don't have law enforcement powers in different countries. So we are working in liaison with our partners in those countries. While we provide protection for our leader, we are working in concert with the protective elements in those different countries, just as we protect foreign leaders when they come to our country, and we don't want anything to happen to them, no matter who they are. We also rely on protection from other countries, presidential details, if you will, while we are in that country. It's got to be the ultimate nightmare in diplomacy. 
I, I, I will say this to you, that we do, work, we do work in concert with the State Department Diplomatic Security Bureau, uh, who is a, a terrific liaison partner of ours. But um, again, because of our liaison capabilities, uh, we understand, and those other entities understand, politics aside, most of the grunts at the, the hump level are professionals, and we don't let politics or uh, you know, national issues really get in the way. We don't want anything to happen to them when they come to visit us in the United States. And likewise, they don't want anything to happen to us. Now, that's not to say we don't do our due diligence and we don't hand over the keys to the kingdom to them. But we are we are working in concert with those agencies to make sure all of our methods and methodologies uh, are, are met and in practice. What happens when you get a guy like uh, Muammar Gaddafi who set up a tent in the middle of Central Park? What about those kind of challenges? We work in concert with his folks uh, from wherever they're coming from. You know, we've had Castro here. We've had uh, 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 the uh, the uh, Iran Iranian folks, the uh, yep. Indian folks, all of who are very high profile. Uh, we protect all of them. And uh, in fact, we had a case in the Secret Service, uh, gosh, almost 20 years ago of a Connecticut resident who tried to or attempted to go down to New York and kill Castro while he was here for the U.N. And our agents were protecting Castro while he was here in New York. Um, and and, and how did how how were they able to protect them? Did they? Well, you, we again, depending upon the uh, visibility, you know, a lot of the leaders, for example. No, no, in that specific Castro case, how did they how oh, did they protect Castro? We basically protect Castro the same way we protect any high level protectee with with uh, assets, technical assets, personnel assets, uh, and the exact same uh, advanced process that's done for. Uh, and and so, so did they catch the guy coming from Connecticut with a gun before he got to New York? How, we, how did we, that? We did. Uh, he went to trial. Uh, he beat the case. He, he was found not guilty. Um, I don't uh, remember, recall a lot of the specifics, uh, to be honest with you, because it was about 20 years ago. Right. But, uh, but the ultimate win there is not that uh, he beat the case. The ultimate win is that Castro left here alive. Um, that's that was the Secret Service's job. Now, granted, there are other people that have other feelings right. with respect to that, but no, our no, job. And, is and to let, let, let me ask you that because I remember that great film from the 1990s, Whitney Houston, Kevin Costner, you know, The Bodyguard, or whatever the film was called. Do you right. ever either fall in love with the people that you're working with? I don't mean romantically, but no. do you ever fall in love with them, or are you ever guarding somebody you really can't stand? Uh, yes, and yes. Uh, you know, there is a personal aspect to this. Uh, you know, the more time that you spend with a protectee and in different settings, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time with Vice President Biden at the end of my career. I was a supervisor on his detail, spent a lot of weekends with him in Delaware. I was the working supervisor the night his son died. So I actually rode in the limo with him back to his residence after his son had passed away. I certainly wouldn't say that the vice president is a friend of mine, but he treated me very, very well. And, and we had a, a connection uh, yes. from being together quite a bit. So. You know, there are certain lines that you don't cross, uh, but you do have the opportunity to see our your protectees and their families at their best and many times at their worst. And again, we uh, try to keep those, you know, feelings of uh, personal interaction at, at a certain distance. But, you, you know, you, you, you do feel for people in certain situations. And, and, and I won't ask any details because that was part of your agreement when you, you when you said you would do this episode. So I won't pry into that limo drive with now President Biden on that moment. But does do those emotions 
get in your way of protecting them? Uh, you, you are emotional at times, uh, but you can't let it get in the way. I, I remember a time uh, working, uh, the vice president, uh, Vice President Biden was giving the eulogy at the funeral service for the 17 firefighters that were lost out in Arizona a number of years ago. And, you know, we were in a, a 10,000 person um, civic center, if you will, and you could hear a pin drop. And the vice president was talking. And if you recall, the vice president lost his daughter and wife in a car accident. Uh, many years ago. And he started to talk about, uh, you know, I, he, I'll never forget, he said something defective, you know, uh, you don't know me and I don't know you speaking to the other first responders who, who were in the room. And he said, but I do know you. You're the people that responded to the car accident where I lost my daughter and my wife and extricated them from the vehicle. You're the people that came to my house when my house was on fire. And you heard him giving the, the eulogy uh, and once the bagpipe started playing and, you know, we have a job to do, everybody had been through a metal detector. So we were very comfortable that we were pretty much probably with a friendly crowd. So we didn't have a lot of the other issues that you might have to think about if, on, a, on a rowdy crowd. And it was very emotional, but you have to dig deep and remember that you have a job to do. Um, uh, and you have to do it. And yes. uh, you, you can't let that emotional impact take away from, taking your eye off the prize, if you will, or your eye off the ball, I should say. Uh, that venue was the same as any other venue, although it right. had a, you know, a personal aspect. No, you have no, to maintain that the professional. No, Bobby, let's, let's switch the coin here. What about the time when you really don't like the person that you're guarding? Uh, you know, you, uh, you, you're, you have to remember you're not protecting someone, although you are, you're protecting the office. And, and, you know, uh, it, it's, you're protecting the, the, uh, the key to our democracy functioning. And that's what, if you have someone that you are assigned to that you, for some reason, don't particularly like very much, you have to dig deeper than maybe the person who's standing next to you and make sure that you are professional, that you are doing your job, that you're doing it better today than you did it yesterday, that you continue to prepare, that you continue to stay in great shape and, and, you know, uh, continue to do what you have to do in sometime extreme circumstances. Remember, there's always somebody outside the president's door on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, Thanksgiving, wedding anniversaries, the birthday party of your kids. Those are the times when you have to dig deep and not let those things affect you. And then make sure that you make up for them when you get home with your family, because right. they're also part of the Secret Service as well. They many times take the biggest brunt of the issues that you may, may be dealing with Remember, you're 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 away. You're seeing the world. You've got government money in your pocket, and your wife and kids are back home having the birthday party without you. So it's a right. it's a very delicate balance that you have to be. Your, your significant other has to be a very special person, and and I am very lucky to have that. Yeah, I I think that's the the secret to a successful career. I remember Donnie uh, Joe Pistone, Donnie Brasco, and I spoke about this at great length um, about his the the impact of his wife and 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 what a pillar she was. Hey, this is Declan. A note for our viewers and listeners, Bobby McDonald has joined us on Crime Ways to speak about the work of the Secret Service. And nowhere in this episode do we ask, nor does he reveal, any of the confidential work of the Secret Service to protect their people. So, back to the episode, and do remember, please like or subscribe to us on social media. Let's talk about the Reagan attempted assassination 
and the lessons you learned from that. Tell us what happened with that Reagan assassination. So that's pretty much a video that we've all seen, you know, that gets played every March, uh, March 31st, I think of every year, the day that that happened in 1981. Uh, they were at the, uh, uh, Hilton in uh, in Washington D.C., which is a very large convention venue. They have a large uh, uh, a ballroom that can seat. Uh, I, I can't remember the exact number, but you know, many hundreds of people, if you will. Right. And the president was there as the president goes to the the Hilton sometimes several times a month because of different conventions that come into town. So it's a very well known venue for us. Um, the president used to arrive right out front and walk inside. He went in, did his uh, speech, and came out. And as you've all, we've all seen the tape, he walks I, out. I, I haven't. So please, please so describe this. No, so I the haven't. president is walking out. And, and back then, the door to the limousine opened uh, not, uh, it opened from, from the middle of the door out. So in other words, now you would open the door and it comes back. This door went the other way. Uh, the president out, walks out. The agents are in position. Um, and all of a sudden, a shot rings out from the press pen. The press pen is what we call the area where the pool press sets up to uh, take the photo of the president that is then filtered out to all the other agencies, uh, news agencies. Uh, other, you know, uh, We don't have the ability right. to have every news agency out there filming. So there's a pool that shares that information. And a gentleman by the name of John Hinckley got into the press pool area with a handgun and pulled it out and began to fire, hitting Special Agent Tim McCarthy in the uh, abdomen. You can see Tim McCarthy when the shot rings out, he is turning and looking away. He makes himself big to get himself as large as possible. He takes a shot. He immediately goes down. Officer Delahanty from the Metropolitan Police goes down. James Brady, the press secretary for the president, is hit in the, uh, in the uh, head. He goes down. And then a bullet ricochets off the side of the limousine and at the time hits President Reagan under the underarm in the rib area. President Reagan by Jerry Parr and Ray Shattuck, two uh, agents, a special agent in charge and the assistant special agent in charge, push President Reagan into the limousine. He's inside and they speed away, heading to uh, the White House, at which time special agent in charge Parr begins to check the president for any injury and notice he notices he begins to cough up blood. At that time, Special Agent Jerry Parr, Special Agent in Charge Jerry Parr, excuse me, tells uh, Special Agent Drew Unruh, who was driving a limousine, to go to George Washington Hospital. That is the decision in and of itself that saved President Reagan's life to get him to that hospital. Uh, I can tell you that uh, monthly, the agents who drive the president practice different routes to George Washington Hospital to make sure that they know the way to get to the hospital. There's no time to be looking at any uh, ways or, or anything. Map. It's just going. You know the way to go. And in an emergency, you're going. So they went to the hospital um, and President Reagan was operated on and, and obviously survived. Now, a couple of things that came out of that uh, area. Again, the door was open of the limousine based upon the Ford assassination. Right. Yep. However, we were outside. So one of the things now is that the Hilton in D.C. has built a garage outside where the president's limo used to arrive. And now we arrive into this garage. The garage door is shut and the president goes into the area. We also have an agent assigned to hospitals everywhere that the president goes. His post is sitting in the emergency, in, of the emergency room of the hospital with a White House communications phone 
so that if something happens to the president, whether it be a gunshot, a heart attack, a broken ankle, the agents with the president call the hospital and say, hey, we're coming to you. Get ready. Right. We also now embed a agent in the press pool whenever we travel to make sure that nobody can infiltrate the press pool. The press pool is uh, vetted and checked White House badge holders. In other words, they all have access to the White House with a background check. So by having an agent with them, two things can happen. It eases their movements among the protected venues because they have an agent with them who is vouching for them as the press. And it also allows for other people like John Hinckley to not be able to infiltrate the press area. And, and I'm sorry to ask you this because I, I don't know this clips. I, you know, I'd, I'd heard about the Reagan assassination, but how does, uh, what happens to Hinckley? Is he shot? Who, who shoots no, Hinkley, him? No, Hinckley is uh, apprehended um, by our agents. Uh, you'll notice you'll see an agent try to deploy an AR-15. Uh, that's Special Agent Bobby Wonko. Uh, we had an, two uh, intelligence agents uh, who were there, uh, Danny Spriggs, who became the deputy director um, of uh, the Secret Service. You'll notice he also has his drum gone. There, there were no shots fired by any law enforcement personnel. He was taken uh, for booking and then obviously over the course of time, uh, spent some time at the St. Elizabeth's Hospital and, and uh, has just recently been released from any yeah. court uh, sanctions. Um, and it, you know, look, there's obviously differing opinions on that. Uh, Sirhan Sirhan was just released uh, from prison after the killing of Bobby Kennedy with the Kennedy family's blessing that, that he had spent enough time in prison. So, um, you know, we, we, you, you could talk uh, three other shows on those issues. Um, um, on, on let, 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 before, before, we, um, before we end off, Bobby, let, let me ask you a professional but deeply personal question. It's two o'clock in the morning or it's three o'clock in the morning. What was your nightmare? What kept you up at night or what, what stopped you from sleeping when you were on these kind of guard duties, when you were, excuse me, when you were on these protection details, what was your nightmare? Well, I think as you move through the progression of being an agent on the president's detail, which was the, the an absolute joy, uh, an honor to serve on that detail and, and the pinnacle of my career. But as you move through the progression of being an agent, you develop different levels of uh, assignment. And, you know, one of those assignments is becoming a lead advance agent. And I was fortunate enough to do 17 lead advances in my time on the president's detail. During the advance period, you're, you're dealing, uh, and, and as a, a uh, just a regular hump agent, if you will, you are supervising others on your detail. You are as a GS-13, and until a supervisor comes in the day before a visit, you are the manager on the ground speaking for the special agent in charge of the president's detail, a tremendous amount of uh, responsibility, a tremendous amount right. of pressure, a tremendous yep. amount of leadership skills needed as a hump agent, if you will. Um, the things that used to bother me was, uh, was, was thinking, how do I think of the thing that I haven't thought of yet? Okay. What is special about this venue that hasn't been at any other venue that I need to have thought of? And if I haven't thought of it, and God forbid that is how whatever happens happens. Then I haven't done I haven't done my job. Um, I can't say I stayed up a lot of nights worrying about things. I tried to be very diligent. Yes. Uh, with time management, with leadership skills, and uh, uh, I, I always went to bed at night comforted to know that I gave it my very best shot every day. As did my team on the ground. It's a lot of meetings. 
It's a lot of what ifs. It's a lot of chalk talking. But, but, but you're doing sure. those investigations of a future crime. So you're thinking, hey, in England, they drive on the opposite side of the road. Is that going to affect this? In sure. France, they're doing it in this way. It's in Paris is a small city. It's a narrow thing. So we, have always- to be, we have to be able to pivot uh, very nimbly to wherever we are and to whatever the aspects of where we are are going to present themselves to us. So right. there are a lot of different things that um, even when you you mentioned going overseas, just different uh, traditions that other people have in other countries. Um, you know, uh, you, you have to be able to acclimate your plan to take into account the local flavor. Look, I, I once rented a car from a company whose decisions were made in Atlanta, Georgia, and this was up in Canada. And I took it out on the road and I returned it within two hours. I said, guys, there's no snow tires. And they're like, yeah, we're sorry. They made the decision in Atlanta. And I said, you tell those people in Atlanta, this car isn't going to drive in Canada. Well, let me give you an example. So let me give you an example. Every time any secret service agent is doing the motorcade assignment, the transportation assignment, you're working with the local police. We do what we call run the routes every time we do it. Okay. I'll give you an example. All of our protectees, when I was assigned to the New Haven office uh, of of a specific level, would arrive at the Air National Guard base up at Hartford. Hartford Hospital was the closest hospital. So you would designate Hartford Hospital as the trauma place that you would go should there be an issue. Every single time we had a protective visit, you would drive up to the Air National Guard base and you would drive the route down to the hospital and you would type it up and make sure that it was applicable. Why would you do that? Because if you don't do it, the day that your protectee comes into town and you need to go to the hospital, there's going to be a construction site or there's going to be a broken down truck or there's going to be something causing you to not be able to go the way that you want to go. So you have to know how to go one way. You have to know how to go another way. And that is done every single time, no matter how good you know the route, you run the routes every single time. You have to know it one way and you have to know it the other way. Let, let's leave on on this final question. In a career that's, uh, you know, after you left the Secret Service, you went to the National Basketball Association, you did much work there. What is the one single best day of your career so far? And please don't say it was the first day at the University of New Haven because thanks. But So you want to know my second best day? The, the second best day then. What was your second best day? I, I'll be honest with you. I have, I've had a number of them and it's very hard to, to come out. The, the one thing that, that really still jumps out at me was when I became a whip uh, on the president's detail. A whip is a pseudo law enforcement position uh, that everybody strives to get. Uh, you hear the term in Congress, the minority whip or the majority whip. Right. Yeah. It's, an, it's an assistant to the speaker. It's an assistant to the president of the Senate or the, or the minority leader. When, I, when the email came out on the president's detail, I think it was 1990, excuse me, 2003, um, that I had been made a whip on the president's detail. Um, it wasn't a promotion. It was no more money. Um, but it was the details way of saying you are a leader in this agency. And um, the fact that they entrusted me to, quote unquote, whip the shift, meaning you could be a shift leader, which is normally a GS-14 position. You could act on behalf of your shift leader in, in what we used to call whip the shift on a particular day. That still, I still have the email. That to me was uh, one of hundreds of great days, but just from a personal standpoint, 
Um, it wasn't even getting promoted uh, a couple of times. It was that day on the president's detail that I had felt, hey, I had made it. That was that was for me. That was a biggie. Awesome. Bobby, thank you very much both for taking the time this morning. Uh, and also, thank you for your work, putting your life, your body on the line in so many occasions on a daily basis. Bobby, Bobby McDonald, thanks so much. A pleasure to be with you anytime. Alexia. Bobby, tell us about some of those technical I don't knows. How is those, how's, how are those things changed? Well, if you, you know, if you look back traditionally over the years, you know, the Secret Service's uh, main foe used to be a handgun or a or a gunshot uh, from from afar or close. Um, we could obviously tighten ourselves physically around the protectee to try to prevent that uh, situation from happening. Again, putting ourselves in the way of a, of a potential threat uh, and moving the protectee away. Uh, you know, we don't stay and fight. Uh, we try to get the protectee out of a potential situation and into safety and then worry about the other issues after that. It's the safety of the protectee first. Now, as we've moved forward over the years, different elements have been obviously invented or discovered. You've got gases, you've got liquids, you've got aerosols. Many of those things, depending upon how they were to come through a metal detector, may not be detected. You know, a small plastic yes. bottle of something can be squirted at something or somebody. The Secret Service now does have an aspect of their technical division that does deal with uh, specific immediate environmental issues in and around the president or the vice president. Something is thrown at the limousine that once it hits the limousine begins to smoke. That element can now come out and try to mitigate whatever that situation is on the vehicle at the time instantaneously. That element, which is, I guess I could say relatively new or within the, the past number of years, short number of years, uh, is now in and around direct uh, 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 area of the president to be able to deal with those issues. So um, it's, it's, it's thinking about the things, the threats that haven't yet arrived. Look, we never thought 9-11 was ever going to happen to us. So if yeah. you use that same you know logic, uh, we're always doing uh, development of ideas or uh, you know our, our, our own R&D, if you will, research and development of things. What is going to be the next assassination flavor of the day? What is going yeah. to be the next way to get us? But remember, we can never negate worrying about the least common denominator, if you will. We can never forget about the small handgun. So we have had to build and build and build and build and build. We never get a chance to really take anything away. We have to just continue to expand our knowledge and ability to mitigate factors that could come our way. Bobby, I want to talk about a, an, an overarching theme. Um, last week, a British member of parliament, uh, David Amos, uh, was killed. He was just having a, a regular meet and greet, the kind of thing that they have in the UK, cup of tea, they come in and they talk to the constituents. Talk to us about that, that, that threat to what I constitute as a fundamental threat to democracy, that politicians and the people who vote for them are having problems being in the same room now. Well, I think when we think of uh, protection of politicians, I think, at least I think of the highest level, yes. president, vice president, obviously the speaker of the house gets protection, the uh, 
minority leaders of the Senate. Uh, but and David, David Amos was a working right. member of Parliament for look at look at years. the look at the shooting of Gabby Giffords out in I believe Arizona a couple of years mm. ago. The representative look at the shooting of uh, Steve Scalise and others who were uh, out on an early morning practicing softball for the congressional softball game that goes on every year, and they were attacked. You know, uh, there's. There's a, a, a theme now where, and I, I certainly don't want to use the term lower level politicians, but less known politicians uh, who used to be able to go out in their community and, and, and go to the Board of Education meetings or whatnot. We're at a time now, a very volatile time in society where people uh, are attacking uh, people uh, for who they are and what, the, what they do. Um, look at the uh, uh, Senator, uh, 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 oh my goodness, I'm forgetting the name. Uh, Sesema or Sima, who went into the, yes. the who went into the restroom the other day to go to the bathroom before getting on a plane and was followed in. Now, granted, she wasn't attacked, but she was followed in there. She has no protection. Most of our Congress people and senators don't have any protection. Um, a lot of them get a little bit of protection, maybe locally when they go back to their district uh, from a local police department. But uh, we're at a time now where um, a lot of uh, different people in the public uh, in the political spectrum don't get any level of protection and are putting themselves in harm way by representing, you know, their district in a democracy where, you know, and even meeting with people. Yeah. Even, you know, having that eyeball to eyeball conversation with a single mom or a pensioner or a businessman or whatever. And look, if, if our, if our politicians, especially at the local or, or uh, you know, level are not available, are not available to go out and press the flesh, you know, that's what, you know, they used to say all politics is local. Tip O'Neill, yep. I think, used to say politics is local. You're getting people who are now uh, in harm's way in a lot of areas. Uh, you know, people are showing up at their houses. Um, you know, there's a, a picture of people in a in a canoe, I guess, uh, pulling up to Senator Manchin's boathouse the other day to uh, to let the, him know their displeasure at the way he was looking at a particular issue. You know, it, it's a very, very difficult uh, time. Look at the Capitol. You know, look at how the uh, yeah. the actions of uh, January 6th put a number of people in danger that we never thought. You used to be able to walk into the Capitol and go to the cafeteria and have lunch. Um, you can't do that anymore. Um, you know, you just, uh, all of these things uh, add up and, you know, we do have to protect our elected officials. We have to protect our elected officials, but we also have to preserve democracy. And you've spoken very eloquently about not protecting the person, but protecting the what that person represents, the democracy that they represent. Well, so I can tell you, for example, the, the, the president's detail in the Secret Service changes on January 20th at noontime with who it doesn't change with whoever becomes president. So the president's detail that brings up the sitting president from the White House at 1145 for the changeover at noontime stays in place and picks up the new president and takes him back to the White House. Right. We do not We do not change based upon who the protectee is. We are protecting the office of the president, the office of the vice president and their families. We stay in place. They change out, but we stay in place. Thank you very much, Bobby. Hey, thank you for listening to Guardians of the Realm our episode in Investigations by the Secret Service featuring Professor Bobby McDonald of the University of New Haven. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please do the usual and like us on social media. It's um, sadly super important in this days of algorithms, so please do it.
Anyway, we'll see you again next week for another episode of Crime Waves Podcast. <laughs>